HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's October 28th, 2014. We're in the middle of Cider Week in New York City, and we're looking forward to some special events. Our guests tonight include Josh Bernstein, Michael McVerner from Virtue, and, and Chris LaHalton. George Motes from the New York City Food Film Festival will join us later. So it's Cider Week, uh, our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Thanks for having us. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check it out and become a member. So we're in the midst of Cider Week, New York. We're talking to some great friends. Uh, Chris LaHalt, you are in some ways the most accomplished cider writer in America, and Woo! yet you still have a day Yay! job. So yeah, it's a tough it's a tough business, right? And you're a dad, and I'm a dad, <laughs> day job dad and cider writer. Yeah, well, you know, cider doesn't necessarily pay the bills yet. Talk to any cider maker, and a lot of times they'll tell you that as well. Um, but yeah, I've been traveling around the country for maybe three years now, writing about cider. And um, just meeting people, kind of learning it back and forth, um, completely just, you know, hand-to-hand education of it. And it's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, what's great is that, I know, you, you write for Serious Eats, Serious Drinks. And um, you, you've been telling me about all the great cider events around the country and, and new ciders I'd never heard of. In June, we did a little event at Jimmy's Number 43, and you hooked me up with Redbird from the Finger Lakes, and this week I'm the only place in New York City that has Redbird. Absolutely, and it's probably one of my favorites from the Finger Lakes. That's the really cool thing about traveling around and and talking to people all the time is meeting cider makers and just asking them what they're excited about because it's such a small community that everybody is still um, really excited about everybody else. You know, so you'll meet somebody from the Finger Lakes like um, Eve Cidery or Blackbird and they'll be like, oh, you've got to try these guys. You know, and they're not in New York. They're not in the Hudson Valley. They're not sort of anywhere at that point in time. Um, But you go and you seek them out and you find these great things. And then a year later, a year and a half later, right, we've got them at Jimmy's and we're pouring them tonight. And so things like that happen. So that's kind of one of the coolest things about it. So, Chris, you've been traveling around a lot. So what are some of the new exciting cider regions we should really be paying attention to right now? I think probably the most interesting one right now, um, 
is also the one that I probably haven't been to the most, which is sort of the Colorado Midwest. Uh-huh. Um, so you have those regions like the Hudson Valley and the Pacific Northwest that have large, large histories of apple growing. Same thing sort of with the Midwest, um, sort of in the Chicago mm-hmm. region. And then um, you have this small kind of strip um, to the west of the mountains in Colorado that has perfect weather for growing apples. Um, so they've had a couple cideries over the years, but it's been very much that survival growth out of the six packs and competing Mm -hmm. with woodchucks and original sins and things like that and you're just starting to see some of the sort of more heritage fruit cider growers get into the game you've got cider bars opening up this year out that way um so that's going to be a really interesting region i think in the next probably year or two years Mm -hmm. now you're mentioning the six-pack push do you think having cider in a six-pack is a good thing a bad thing a way to introduce beer drinkers familiar format or What's your take on that? Um, it's awesome. I mm-hmm. love having cider in six packs, especially really good ones. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've seen um, in the last year is more and more people kind of coming in at the six pack or the pint mm-hmm. can level, but not doing it the traditional way it was done, sort of with concentrate and chemical additives and mm-hmm. colorings and all that other stuff. Um, just this past month or two, we saw uh, Uncle John's come into New York City doing a fresh pressed. Uh, cider from the Chicago region mm-hmm. in a four pack of pint cans and having something like that for, for camping, for the outdoors, for the summer, for someplace mm-hmm. where you can't go with, you know, a big glass 750 milliliter bottle, um, is fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm not, I was never prejudiced against cans for craft beer uh-huh. and I don't think we should be for cider either. It's mm-hmm. really just what the cider maker wants to do and what they want to put in the can. Mm-hmm. Great. And what are some of the uh, festivals around the country that you'd recommend to our listeners if they want to learn more? So if you want to kind of get the crash course, the year-long crash course in cider, I really just recommend looking at each of the cider weeks around the country and kind of you know, go there for the weekend, for the week, whatever you can do. Um, and get involved. There's a big event called the Cider Summit that happens at a lot of them, which is very similar to the one you do, Jimmy, down in the Seaport for Cider Feast, where they get you know 30 or 40 or 70 cider makers to kind of sit around and uh, pour. But then if you go for these weeks, that's a lot of the time when the cider makers take time off to do tastings, to do dinners, to kind of educate you. So if you look at New York City mm-hmm. Cider Week and Finger Lake Cider Week and then the other ones that are kind of big are Portland has a Cider Week as the Seattle um, and then Virginia Cider Week which is just coming up in a couple weeks and then next weekend nobody should leave New York because they should still be here for New York Cider Week but if you're not, uh, Cider Day is up in Massachusetts uh, which is kind of the longest running celebration of cider in America uh, takes place up in Shelbourne Falls and that's a fantastic fantastic cider event. What are some of the fe- I've heard of that, and I always want to go, and it sounds romantic. And you know, <laughs> give me some details about uh, it. Cider Days is really cool because I think it's right in the heart of both apple growing country and sort of a lot of the the Massachusetts cider makers. And you get a lot of people from a lot of cider makers from Vermont and from Maine and from Massachusetts that you don't see in in this region. So most of what you see in New York, if it's not sort of imported from the Midwest or Uh, from the West Coast comes from the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. Up there, you have a whole other scene of sort of these Michigan, Maine, Nova Scotia cider makers. And everybody's sort of descended upon a really small town, not in the middle of nowhere, but definitely not anywhere near the size of like Seattle or New York City for the weekend. So 
it's very, very laid back. You're kind of on the farm, learning how to make cider, walking through orchards. There's a lot of the sort of horticultural side to it as well, where you're learning about apple pedigree or you're learning about organic gardening. So if you really want to know about cider beyond sort of just what it tastes like and you really want to know what's behind it all, that's a really great place to be. So, Chris, one of the uh, challenging things and exciting things for me about covering the beer industry is just really how fast it's evolving, how quickly trends percolate, and how quickly they sort of spin out across the country and around the world. So with cider, are you seeing things evolving so quickly as a beer world, or are things happening at a much more um, gradual pace? I think you're seeing things happen two ways. So part of the time we're seeing stuff happen really, really rapidly, Mm -hmm. because you've got people who know that... Cider is a moneymaker. Cider is growing 100% every year, 70, mm-hmm. 80% every year. We, we've projected it to be, you know, a thousand times the size that it is now. So people are investing. People are putting time and money into it, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get out there and get new products. At the same time, unlike beer, the raw product just isn't that expandable. Yeah. So you have a lot of people who are kind of scrambling for the juice that they can get, and they're not necessarily using the apples that they necessarily want. And those people are planting them, but we're taking two, three, really five years before you get the harvest to kind of start doing what you want to do. And once they get them, they've never worked with those apples before. So then you've still got years of them trying to kind of like figure it out and understand how blending works. And things so it like seems that. like a lot of similarities between the issues a lot of brewers are having with hops production. And so, you know, three years to really get the full bind as much production out of it. So it seems like with the fruit, there's really this um, bottleneck right now with, with not enough juice out there. Yeah, or I compare it a lot of times to sort of the American wild ale movement as well, mm-hmm. where it was something that a lot of people grabbed onto maybe a year or two ago. But the stuff that people tried to turn out really, really quickly, didn't work. And Mm -hmm. it took people a year or two to understand the blending and the nuances Mm -hmm. and kind of slowing it all down and working with something that's a little bit more complex Uh to really kind of get those sort of, you know, American wild ales that we're starting to see coming out now from these these kind of upstart breweries that are just phenomenal. Mm. So, Chris, I know from your travels and and being a journalist, you get a lot of samples. So what what cider did you bring for us? Because I've never seen this before. Um, So this one's really fun. What we're drinking today is Alpenfire Ember, which is from Port Townsend in Washington. Um, These guys are really cool. So they kind of like spent their youth going up to Canada and drinking cider and fell in love with all these English and French varietal ciders up there and then came back to America and couldn't find it at all, right? So what they decided to do was plant an orchard in their backyard. Just, uh, you know, they're maybe 20 miles... 30 miles from Seattle. Someone in Seattle will tell me that uh, I'm incorrect on that. Um, And then they're doing it completely organically, um, and they're doing it completely with wild yeast. So the really cool thing about it is they're growing all these old heirloom English and French variety apples. They're fermenting them with wild yeast in these stainless steel tanks, sometimes oak-aging them. Um, But what you don't have is a lot of what you get in wild ales or wild ciders in America. You don't have all of that vinegary, barnyardy character to it. It's really, really refined, much more like the, the wild ones you get from England and France. Um, so it's a really cool example of not only what you can do when you're working with sort of these structured tannic cider apples, but also what you can do kind of just with the, the wild yeast that you have in place. So what, what's on the nose? I mean, it, it smells like apple, but like a, a ripe brown apple or something. Yeah, so you get a little bit of that, that sort of like ripe brown apple on there. You get a lot of little kind of tropical mango-y kind of notes in there. 
Um, and then sort of on the back end, you get those subtle, the subtlest bits of what you get from Wild, a little bit of like a cigar or a leathery note, and you get a lot of kind of tannin in that. But none of it is sort of overwhelming. Um, and at the same time, the acidity is really low. So what you find in a lot of ciders from the East Coast is really high acid from the, from the apples. Um, but this is kind of a lot more mellowed out. And so it becomes like a really nice cider to work with with food pairings or some really kind of slow, casual drinking. You know, I, I, I don't want to, I want to only dwell on the good ciders and the fine ciders, <laughs> but you did mention earlier, what are bad ciders? Like, you know, can someone just cook up a potion with, with, with crap and powders and make a cider? Yeah. A potion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. I think Mr. Beer will sell you a kit for like nineteen ninety five or something like that. And you, you could make yourself some you cider. You need a dorm room closet to make it though. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah but, but I mean, but I'm saying like you would have, you know, like Chinese concentrates. I mean, we don't want to name names because we only like to talk. Same with crap beer. We only want to talk about the good stuff. We don't want to mention the bad stuff. So, but like, there so, is a difference. Yeah. I mean, so what makes bad cider, right? Um, there's a couple different ways that it can happen. Uh, either you are not a deft cider maker, you can't control temperature, you can't control sanitation, um, and from that you get a lot of different off flavors and bad kind of flavors that are that just show up. The same problems you have with bad beer um, tend to show up. You can get oxidation, you can get acetobacter, um, you can get acetic acid, which is like white vinegar. You can get all of that sort of stuff that happens. Um, the other thing that can happen is you can just sort of ferment too fast. So apples are, are, are really, really nuanced. You don't have a lot of residual sugars like you do with beer. You've pretty much got something that's completely fermentable. Um, and then you've got tannins, which are another type of acid. Um, and you've got sort of these kind of flavor solids and some other chemistry that's kind of way out there and I want to get into. Um, but if you ferment really, really quickly, you get that same thing when you see kind of bubbling beer and it's kind of going crazy and bubbling and, and, and all of that kind of krausen is happening. And what that does with cider is it just kind of takes all of the flavor and pushes it out the top. Right? It's the same reason we kind of dry hop beers at the end of the day, because we've kind of scrubbed away a lot of that flavor during fermentation. Um, so a lot of the, the finer ciders that you find are fermented for three months or six months. It's much more of a seasonal product like wine is. Um, and they do that really, really slowly to try to kind of keep all of that, that flavor um, and complexity in there. And then the last thing you can probably do is just use crappy fruit. You know, so you can make cider from cider apples. You can make cider from American Ireland apples. You can make cider from Granny Smiths and Galas. And you see a lot of that happening sort of on the, the West Coast as well. And you just don't have um, the complexity that you really want in a, in a cider there. It's probably great. You know, those are great on a Saturday afternoon when you're done playing soccer in the park and you want something really, really refreshing. On ice. Maybe yeah. it's on yeah, ice. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. is there a place for ciders like that, though? Because, you know, like with craft beer, not everyone's really craving having, you know, not everyone's like super complex, deep flavors. Sometimes you just want to kick back and um, not think and drink. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think there, there definitely is. And you see a lot of that sort of innovation on the, on the West Coast. And that's, you know, that's the same thing, which is at the end of the day, I can't open a 17 or $20 bottle of cider uh-huh. on a regular basis. And it's nice to have something that hits that, that price point just as like a great Pilsner at the end of the day mm-hmm. is sort of just a nice, refreshing beer to drink. But I think that in the same sense as, as Pilsner works, even using very basic ingredients and really basic apples doesn't mean that you don't mm-hmm. have to do it with the same kind of consideration and, and love. If you look at like a, a Belgian triple as an example, it's pretty much one yeast and 100% Pilsner malt most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one grain and one yeast. But there's such a wide range of what you can do with that depending on how much love you mm-hmm. kind of want to give it. Um, 
I love those simple sizers. I even love the inventive ones where people are kind of doing hops or mixing them with, with honey and making sizers mm-hmm. or even kind of putting other fruits in there. I think that, to me, the point becomes when it's a cider and when you're just using it as a sugar source and it ends up tasting like a fizzy cranberry juice because mm-hmm. you've just dumped so many cranberries on top of a lifeless cider to kind of give it some sort of kick. Mm-hmm. Now, what would be a few examples of some really good ciders that the listeners could drink? Like if they're looking to you know stock their fridge with a few good six packs, is anything in particular you would uh, recommend? Um, you know, I think in the in the six pack range around here, uh, Uncle John's comes in pint cans, so mm-hmm. that's a four pack. But I think that's probably one of the best ones that you can get right now. Um, I always have a six pack of uh, either Original Sin or Angry Orchard Traditional mm-hmm. Dry in my fridge. Um, I don't hold anything against uh-huh. against those ciders. I also use them all the time. Um, for cooking, mm-hmm. uh, not that they're any less than anything else. It's just they have a little bit more sugar, and a lot of what I drink in other bottles tends to be mm-hmm. uh, a little bit drier, and you want a little bit more of that that body. Um, and then Docs is long time been mm-hmm. my go to cider, which is in a twenty two ounce bomber, but a great price. Um, and Harpoon probably makes my favorite cider in a six pack. It's one of the first ciders I ever drank, you know, t- five or 10 years ago. Yeah. I was getting ready to mention that harpoon cider is so, so great. Usually under 10 bucks, a six pack dry, not a lot of attendant sweetness. And it's the type of cider you can like really drink down, you know, it's like a session cider. Yeah. And it's kind of like, especially if you've had a couple of beers and you just want like a little something drier and kind of to take mm-hmm. a break, it's one of the kind of the best ones you can get. And then we're taking a short break and we'll talk more about serious ciders in a few minutes on beer sessions radio. All right. Cider session. beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, greatbrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. Greatbrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, greatbrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Into the we hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're having a special serious cider show with Chris LaHalt. We've got Josh Bernstein, Ooh. Michael McVerner from Virtue, and soon to be George Motes from the New York City Food Film Fest. So, Chris, we've been tasting a couple of fancy ciders. We, we had to talk about some of the ciders you can get in the six pack and, and that, that are affordable. But w- let's talk about your fancy ciders. So, what's the next one that you poured for us? Because this is stuff I've never seen and I can't get in New York City. Yeah, so the this one is called Jupiter's Legacy. It's from a cidery in North Garden, so right outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, called Albemarle Cider Works. Um, and Albemarle Cider Works is really cool because they're kind of dedicated to working with American heirloom apples um, and trying to get the most flavor they can out of them. So when we talk about something like um, the Alpenfire one, you're talking about really cider-specific apples, uh, apples like a Kingston Black or a Villabrie or something that you probably wouldn't find on the shelf in your store. Um, the, the, down in Virginia, they're really dedicated to using a lot of 
the heritage apples that they have and that they've planted sort of for the last 100 or 200 years, the same ones that Thomas Jefferson was planting at Monticello. Um, so they make single varietal ciders out of things like a stamen wine sap or a Newtown Pippin or Albemarle Pippin, which is what they call it down there, um, and kind of slowly fermented using really neutral yeast that just kind of get the very um, the purest apple quality out of them. Um, and what you end up with are these ciders that are sort of like real high in acid. So compared to the Alpenfire one, this is much, much brighter, right? And then you've also got like all these really fun citrus notes that come out in them as well. And there's tannins too. Yeah, and you're yeah. still getting like a surprising little bit um, of tannins. This has a blend of maybe 20 or 30 apples, so it's not at that single variety level. Um, but you are getting um, something that's, that's really, really punchy. Um, and I find that these are really fun to drink with sort of new people to cider because they're so bright and they're so in that sort of like uh, Pinot Grigio Sauvignon Blanc kind of level, um, but then with the added carbonation in them. So, so, I want to go back, Jimmy. You're, you keep saying we want to talk about fancy ciders. What to you does a fancy cider mean? Well, you know, I think a lot of what we're since there's a Cider Week show, I've had a lot of talks with guys like Steve Wood and Crystal Hall. Uh-huh. I think they're trying. there's certain cider makers that are first, they're orchard-based. So yeah. they're they're trying to well first of all the the, the things that fine fine cider is facing some crisis and we'll talk to to Michael from Virtue because they're a so new cidery. Is fine cider a better term than fancy cider? <laughs> there's like a hundred <laughs> terms for it. So there's yeah. like uh, there's fine cider or what's called American fine cider. I think is the term that people are throwing around now. Um, there's the term artisan cider. There's yeah. orchard-based cider. Some people use the word craft cider. Handcrafted artisan cider. But let me yeah. jump in. So what it is is that they're trying to – first, they want to establish that they can actually grow cider apples, and that takes a number of years. Mm-hmm. So a good, a, good, a good point on this is, Michael, why don't you tell us how Virtue started? Because this is – Virtue is, is trying to be a fancy cider, a fine cider. But <laughs> For sure. Trying to be. They started with their own apples. So tell us the, the, the story of Virtue a little bit. Sure. So It's, uh, a, good, it's a good – this is like a new American cidery. That hasn't been growing apples for 30 years like, like Farnham Hill or something. Absolutely. So uh, our, our cidery started about three years ago. It was founded by Greg Hall. And Greg Hall has a history of brewing with a, a little brewery called Goose Island out of Chicago. So when he came to um, the cider movement, he really came with a brewer's mentality. So knowledge of uh, yeast, um, of different types of fermentation, and... and um, and all everything that also goes with with brewing, but he he was very interested in the agricultural product that is cider. So um, when when we looked at that, obviously we had land, but we didn't have the apples. And in Michigan, there is a, a great a great history of growing really really spectacular apples, but it was somewhat lost because of uh, a long term storage or whatever other reasons that uh, apples have kind of changed. Similar to like how a tomato has changed, it's no longer these beautiful, unique, beat up, weird but very tasty things. There are things that are big and balloony that stay forever. So uh, when, we, when we got started, we started working with a, a small winery. Um, we paired with them. We, we purchased apples. We pressed our own juice, and, uh, and we made cider there. And then in our second year, uh, we got a brick and mortar. We, we built a, a beautiful little Normandy-style barn out in Fenville, Michigan, which is about 10 minutes from the Michigan coast. And uh, we, we purchased apples from farmers. We purchased every little bit of apple we could all from that area. And with the, with the intention to put back as much money as we could into the land and in those farmers so they could grow as excellent apples as they could instead of just 
uh, growing and planting simple apples that would have been made for long-term storage or just eating consumption. Uh, now we're in our third year. We have, like, as you mentioned earlier, uh, like a cidery is a lot different than a brewery in that a brewery has an opportunity every three weeks to make a new, a new beer and to tweak that same beer. A cidery, like a winery, has one opportunity because it's harvest-based. So every year we get a little bit better. Every year we get to make a new cider or tweak that new cider. So what year are you guys in right now? We're in our third year. So Mm -hmm. we're now seeing new ciders. The ciders that we've made for the first time, it's our second opportunity Mm -hmm. to tweak. So what are some of the products you guys are putting out right now? Uh, So we have a a blend between Draft Mm -hmm. and 750. I totally agree with you on on the the single format, uh, sorry, single format 12-ounce pint can... uh, kind of interest that, that would really, I think, change kind of how or necessitate and work well with uh, cider's consumption. But we've, again, followed a very uh, traditional uh, English, French, and Spanish format, which is all 750s. Mm-hmm. So like a, like a serving from a wine bottle. Exactly. Wine, wine bottle size. Wine bottle. I mean, when I was just in Spain, everything was all out of a 750. Uh, nothing, there was never a single serving format. But uh, to your point, yeah. we have uh, some... Formats that are in the normal beer, craft beer mm-hmm. format, uh, a half barrel, six barrels, and then all the 750s, mm-hmm. uh, with about probably seven different ciders that we're offering year-round, but all based on the traditional European mm-hmm. style. Does having a draft allow, you know, because not every consumer is going to take the chance in a 750 that maybe costs 15 20 $25, be it beer or cider. I mean, it's just, you know, for an unknown variable, it's kind of a lot of money to spend on it, in this day and age. But um, does a draft allow you guys to really sort of reach out to new consumers that may not possibly find you otherwise? Absolutely, um, especially in the craft beer market. Uh-huh. In, in New York, there is a plethora of rotational craft beer bars, as well as some that keep you know, one brand, whether that be beer or cider, on uh, consistently. So at a lower price point, a single-serving format through the draft process— yeah we can get a little bit more liquid into people's mouths. Especially we're an on-premise town where we want to drink in bars. <laughs> we don't really sit there and say to ourselves, how can we drink as much as we can at home? We want to go out and drink with our friends in public spaces. But just, just to jump, like the, yeah. the idea of finer, the reason I'm going with finer yeah. fancy, and it's, 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 fancy, it's nice here. By the end, we'll, we'll, Josh will, will tell me, Josh will codify it and make up a whole new, he's going to write a book about cider probably. Hey, I'm not going to write it. No, You'll there's plenty of cider books coming down the line. Chris is going to write a cider book before I do. No, I'll let everybody else deal with the book but, format. But the fine, so the, the, the challenges are, it's, it's, it's growing your own fruit, which takes a number of years. And then it's like the skills. And, you know, the, the last thing is, is just the market, you know. And I think the reason that some, some of the cider makers are trying to come up with this fine cider concept is that they want to be able to charge or, or treat the cider as, as they would a fine wine. Well, you know, so I, it's, a diff- it's different than a mass market cider. Yeah, and a lot of times the reason that there's that, that fine cider or that artisan cider category, however you want to put it, is because I think that a lot of those cider makers are trying to break that perception that cider has in America that there's a six-pack of beer, and then there's a six-pack of cider, and they should cost the same amount of money, and they should be drank in the same occasion. And only drank during the fall. And only for, the, for like two <laughs> yeah. weeks in the fall when we do a lot of cider writing, and then nobody wants to talk to us again for the rest of the year. But w- when, you, when you start to look at a lot of these more artisan cider makers, um, it does align a lot closer with wine, right? Uh, first and foremost, your raw product is way more expensive. Apples are much more expensive than grains are. So if you're paying the same amount for a cider as you are for a beer, 
there has to be some sort of compromise in there. Either that person doesn't want to make money, or they found a way to get really, really cheap apples. Now, are they more expensive because of acreage or yield or both? Uh, it's sort of a combination of the both. And the other problem is that we can't um, bring them in from foreign countries. So, Or you can, but then you get into sort of the concentrate issue a lot of times. So yeah. while brewers are like, oh, I'm going to bring in castle malt from Belgium, and I'm going to bring this malt Golden in. promise. Right. So, And I'm just going to get bags of all of them, and I can keep them and store them forever, and there's never going to be a problem with them. Apples essentially have a pretty limited radius. I mean, at, at the best, you can fill them in a cube, and you can put them on a truck, and you can drive them across the country. But after that, if you want to take French cider apples from France or from Italy, mm-hmm. and you want to get them to America... It's really, really expensive to get them here in a raw juice format and not have it spoil or kind of go rotten. And that's when you get into the concentration issue and you have a whole other set of problems around that. Mm -hmm. Another point in that also is that a cidery spends the bulk of their money on raw product at one time of the year, whereas a brewery can spend that money throughout or Uh spread it out throughout the year. So. That also makes it a lot more challenging to produce cider than it does to produce beer. Me, so this virtue is a good story, though, because sure. you, know, you, you guys kind of looked at a new opportunity and, and started from scratch. It's not like again, like a Farnham Hill has you know thirty years of, of growing you know apples behind. No, we mess up all the time. Yeah, so it's 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 a huge leap. It's kind of more like opening a winery and planting grapes. And that is the side of for us in Cider Week. That's really the focus is focusing on the agricultural base. Like in New York, it's the, the Hudson Valley and New York State uh, cider makers who are also orchardists. They're, they're growing their own fruit or buying from a neighbor. So I, I, I for me, when I think of cider, I, I, I've I've been at an event and, and and drinking you know six pack cider on ice. But my for me, cider is in a fancy bottle and, a, and and sip it. And it's kind of some of the stuff that Chris brought. So what's the next cider that you brought, Chris? Because um, this I, is pretty special stuff. I've never. I think we're going to drink some virtue cider. Actually, Which sounds sounds like a plan. I mean, since you know, since Mike's here, I think we should try some. Of his but Jimmy, cider. I was going to say, I've never really seen you sip cider slowly, elegantly from your your nice little flute. It's usually well, that, that's why I have a bar, so I can just drink as much as I want straight yeah. from the tap. <laughs> we could get him a flute with like his name on it or something like that. But Josh, you're going to come after. So talking about cider week events, uh, Chris had some great ideas this past Friday. Uh, there's also a West Coast cider culture that's different, and this guy, Reverend Nat, who's pretty cool, he flew into New York, and he's not distributed here, but he did he did sample people. We were able to sample his ciders, um, and, and also tonight, Chris is going to do a, a serious cider tasting where between some of the samples he has and some of the, the real fine ciders that, that we have, we've got a full house at Jimmy's 43 waiting for us right now. You guys are welcome to come, because I think when you actually start tasting those ciders, you realize it's, it's a special product, and... Um, I'm into it. But I also, I don't drink it every day. But I will say that, that since Cider Week started in New York, by the second year, we, we've sold more fine cider than we did wine. Mm-hmm. And it shows that there's, there's an interest in, in people. So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'd also like to point out... Uh, I also don't know what I'm talking about. And, <laughs> now you got it. But it's also, we, it. we're struggling. We don't, even, we don't have a common point of reference to talk about it. Because we're talking about cider, and it's true. It's like, gosh, I you know, I... Last year on the show, we had the guy from Angry Orchard, and, you know, there's nothing against that. But, but now I feel like the Cider Weeks themselves are pushing people towards this defining a fine cider. They are, but cider. you can't discount these big people because they can crack a category, open it, and introduce something to a whole bunch of people where virtue doesn't have endless dollars. It's like the story I tell, like, Blue Moon came out, and they fucking cracked the wit beer category wide open, and they're able to really sort of tell the entire country that a cloudy beer is okay. So it's not the worst thing in the world to have 
people like Angry Orchard, Woodchuck, really going out and doing stuff. I mean, if you can get someone to think about cider in a different way, and you can get them to maybe seek out the different ciders afterward, that's really the important point. They don't have to spend $10 million, $15, 20000000 million. The other point, too, is that, sure, you, you can use the terms craft, artisanal, uh, fancy, but in the end of the day, cider is an ag- agricultural product. They're farmers. They're everyday people. And mm-hmm. at, at Virtue, like a lot of other cideries that mm-hmm. don't necessarily rely completely on their own orchard, they're paying money, and, and most of the times, more money to these farmers to, to get them to grow grapefruit and to sustain the local agricultural and economy. So it really is an everyman drink, and that's how it started out. And what, what's this last cider you just This poured? cider is La Panette, which is a, uh, it's our version of a Normandy-style brut dry that's, that's unfiltered. Um, a La Panette itself is a, is a cute little bunny that if you saw it that year in the orchard, it meant that that would have been a good harvest. Um, so part of this, we, we made uh, a pressing of all Michigan fruit, native fermentation, and the portion was rested in uh, first and second yeast French oak. And it was allowed to uh, autolyze, but really what that meant was that it's allowed to rest on the yeast or the lees. Chris, what, what's the barnyard smell on this? Uh, so that's a little bit of the agriculture and then, <laughs> and then it's also probably the yeasts that you guys are, you guys are doing this at least a little bit with the yeast on the skins at some point. Yeah. This, uh, this is native. Yep. And then th- it's in barrels that are Brett positive. I think, I think that's a fun thing to mention too, that a lot of the yeast can be exists on the skin of the apple. So you can actually let it naturally ferment. Yeah. I mean, you never know what you're going to get, but you can definitely leave all of that yeast and that bacteria in there and, and, and get some really, really interesting uh, results out of it. You know, I think it's interesting that both this and the Alpenfire are both native fermentations uh-huh. that we're trying today. Guys, thank you for having this conversation. We're getting covering a lot of bases, and we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, heritageradionetwork.org. You can become a member and join and donate and all that. Great stuff's going on out here. And I'll tell you today, this is one of the most interesting uh, Saturday week conversations we've ever had. We've got Josh Bernstein, Michael McVerner from Virtue, Chris Michael, Mahal. is that how you say your last name? Macavina. Oh, Macavina. <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was Italian. I, I wish. And uh, soon to be... <laughs> Scotch-Irish. Let's, let's just uh, wrap up the conversation about the ciders and let's move on to some of the events going on. So, Chris, anything else you want to say about this uh, barnyardy cider? Um, I, not too much. I think it's awesome. You know, we were just talking really quickly about how it's the second year of the La Panette and, and, and how much that's, that's sort of changed. And it, and it goes back to sort of the, the farm and the horticultural product of it all and how you get one shot at it, right? So that first year you drink it, you make it, and last year's La Panette was also awesome, but you just kind of put it out there and hope for the best, and then you drink it, and you kind of make adjustments, and you try again for the next year. Keep so trying. cider makers just, you know, they only make 
<laughs> that was a mistake. But Michael, okay, Saturday Week New York <laughs> events that you're doing with Virtue. Sure. So um, we've we've got some fun events starting today um, with the radio show, and then we have a special one-off Firkin that was blended out um, by our master cider maker Ryan Burke out in Fenville, which I'm super stoked to try. If you guys want to come out to DBGB, that's going to be the first time that's tapped uh, tonight. Uh, we've got an event at Top Hops with Naked Flock as well as Virtue, uh, a New York cidery. Really great people. They're a little bit different than us, but they, they still... Naked Flock is great. They kill it. Um, Chris, and, do, you know, do you know anything about Naked Flock? I know they're up in Hudson Valley. Uh, yeah, they're in the Hudson Valley. They're just below Warwick. Um, so if you know where Docs is, they're sort of nearby that. Um, and they make some really interesting ciders you can, using local apples. They put a little bit of honey, sometimes maple syrup in there, a little on the sweeter side. It's but a family. Do they grow their own apples, too? They do grow some apples, um, but then they also harvest them from around the area. Great. Well, Josh, you know, you've, you've always, in addition to being a writer, you've put on some great events, homebrew events. But you discovered yeah. this old beer cave in, in Brooklyn. And uh, w- tell us about what's going on there. Yeah, there's this great old brewery that was built in the 1850s in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And the owners of the caves, uh, Benton and Susan, they have, over the last decade, basically opened up the egress. So you can actually go down 30 feet underground. They've got two winding staircases. They've got an elevator. So you can go underground to these you know, beautiful 1850s built lagering caves. And so... You ask yourself, does it make sense to age beer underground? Not so much anymore, but what they've really thought about doing is they're aging cheese in the old lagering caves. So it's this really great idea where, you know, the temperature is pretty much ideal for cheese as well as beer. So Benton, uh, partnering with um, Peter Dixon, does fantastic cheeses in the Northeast. So he's, he was considered Bardwell yeah. for many years. Great cheesemaker from Vermont. Yeah, so, so Peter is making the cheese up there, and then Benton is taking the cheese down, and they're aging it in the uh, locker and caves. And so I did an event there back in March or Craft Beer Week where, you know, I think a lot of times people don't really think about loggers in the greatest light, but I wanted to show people that loggers have beauty, they have nuance, that there's a lot of scope of loggers. And so we did that, and so we're all done. So a few months later, Benton and I were talking about doing another event, and the cheese by this time had actually been in the caves. It was, you know, coming along. And so we came upon this idea to um, do a beer event, insider event, where we basically wash one specific cheese with uh, six different um, beers and ciders. And so the idea is you have the base cheese is the same, and you get to watch what happens when, you know, you, you know, you base the cheese with you know uh, a mixed ferment saison, virtue red streak cider, um, a hoppy rye IPA type thing, and so. Seeing the pictures, it's like the same. That one variable really alters it so so much. I mean, I've seen the progress of the cheeses, and it's just it's astounding to go from like one to the next. And so the idea is, we're going to go. It takes maybe about eight to ten weeks for the wash to come through, and the wash will, um, you know, you'll get that nice bloomy color on the rind. And then it's these are typically the what you'd consider like sort of the funkier cheeses. So what we're going to do afterward is um, partner the uh, wash rind cheeses with the uh, with the beer and cider that we washed with. And so brilliant. and drink them. When drink is the, the event, Josh? Uh, November eight, and we're going to drink Are the them. tickets. Sold out. They sold out in ten minutes. Dude, come on! <laughs> what do you want You're me to amazing. do? You're What do you want me to do, Jimmy? Boom. Well, you know, we, we've had a couple other people approach us. Uh, Consider Barwell did a wash fine cheese with Slybro, who's. And I'm going to quickly mention some of my favorite uh, ciders from from Cider Week New York. This Bellwether from upstate Redbird, who, who's only at Jimmy's number forty three, but Slybro. <laughs> Is they're the sleeper? I mean, they are a fine cider up on the Vermont border. What are some of the other favorite uh, Cider Week New York ciders? 
Um, from the Cider Week New York stuff, I think you've probably hit some of my favorites. Um, Eve's is definitely another one um, that's really good. And then we've got a couple visitors from the, the Northeast, such as uh, Farnham Hill and Eden's, that are also down in the city this week as guest cider makers that are that are really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on, but I, I do think that people should look for those, those brands when they're out there because a lot of people are coming in. And this week in New York, like, I want to try some ciders. And maybe after that cider, they go for a beer, <laughs> which happens too. But so I think people are – what's that? Is that so the Blooming Rhine? I'm going to show you the uh, the wash wrenches, how they've evolved over time. So we'll pass you the phone. Will, you, will you tweet that? Will you tweet that at uh, – I can't. It's at, too much Add beer right now. underscore session. And guess we'll what? If you do, the, what the, the, the do whoever can retweet the at beer underscore sessions photo of the, the – Cider, it's the cider rind, wash rind, wash rind Jesus, yes. You're going to get George Motes here from New York City uh, Food Film Festival. He's going to send you a free pass. So you have a beer-related event. So it's New York City Food Film Festival this weekend. That's right. The NYC Food Film Fest starts actually tomorrow, not this weekend. And uh, is, there, is there a beer-related film in this? There is. On Saturday, we, we're showing uh, Nick, um, uh, Nick Kovacic's uh, Brewmore Baltimore which is a film that's about uh, the brewing, the very rich brewing history in Baltimore. Something we've never, I've never even, didn't even know existed, honestly. It's in New York. Are you, are you guys bringing up some special beers in New York City? We sure are. We have, uh, for, we have a one-day pass to bring in uh, Brewer's Art, and also Union Craft is coming up as well for one day only. We're going to have Union Craft and Brewer's Art in town, as well as all the other, all the other beers that are represented Where, Where's the, the Food Film Festival this year? This year it's at the AMC Village East. Nice. It's a one hour uh, one hour feature film. All the brewers from the entire film are going to be there. So including if, the if somebody retweets at, at beer underscore sessions, Josh's Jimmy, I got to figure out how to do this. It's not really set up. <laughs> the like Bloomy Rind. You're putting just me say, on this. Just spot. say I want a New York City Food Film Fest ticket at beer underscore sessions. Two, right? give them two, I'll two tickets, two tickets to the uh, the beer. Event. All right, Maggie's here. Maggie's going to keep track of that. So, and then what do you think of these ciders? Because you're a food guy. You got your what, your hamburger TV show. What's your show called, anyways? The show. I don't what, watch TV. Show. <laughs> What's your hamburger TV show? I have a burger show called Burgerland on Travel Channel. Okay. I also have a burger book called Hamburger America, and I'm working on a cookbook right now. And, and you like to, I know you like to make burgers and skillets. I do. I, I like big, that, too. I'm a big flat-top guy. I love yeah. the flat-top method. Yeah. But you're, you're Food method. Film Fest. So what, what do you think about the ciders you tried today? Because these, these are, are kind fantastic. of fancy ciders. These, these are fancy. <laughs> Honestly, it's, they're almost like uh, like champagnes. They're like they're like sparkling wine. That's a good comp. You know? That's a good, and this is what we're trying to get is like, how do we talk about fancy ciders? You know? Jimmy's unbuttoning his shirt three notches to really emphasize how fancy these ciders right, are these today. Are fancy, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little sip and swell, right? But Chris, do you, Chris, do you have any more ciders for us? Because I know that I'd love that you brought those ciders. I'd never tried any of. Them. I've heard of Albemarle, so Virginia has a good scene. Foggy Ridge, we know. Yeah, Virginia has a pretty awesome scene. Um, everything's kind of circulated around, mostly around the Charlottesville area, and then you've got stuff out in Richmond. Um, and then uh, Seattle has a great scene. Portland has a great scene. The Midwest has an awesome scene. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> you guys have one of, you know, it's, I think, you know, Chicago is sort of crazy because every cider maker in America descends upon it in February for CiderCon, which is the coldest time of year, and cider makers are just still beat it out and i don't know how you guys kind of deal with that it happens but really chicago is right now it's the center of the country but it's also like the center of a lot what's going on with cider george you guys take the new york city food film fest on the road where else do you guys go well we also go we're in chicago as well we need some cider well actually the funny thing is we do new york now starting wednesday tomorrow for for five days uh five events over four days we go to chicago in three weeks we'll be there uh the weekend before thanksgiving 
And then we go to Charleston after that in the spring of 2015. Every spring we'll be in Charleston. All right. So maybe you guys, you guys have, I always, you always have beer. You always have and beer. you're going to start having beer. cider. You know why? Because I love beer. We actually have an event in, in Chicago this year called, it's actually the name of the event is hashtag I love beer. <laughs> and we'll be showing a film by Craig Noble called Craft, which is all about, it's a sort of a cross-section of all the craft brewers talking about their craft. Well, I know you've been barnstorming this joint. All week. You took over Heritage Radio Network the other day. Last Friday. I was warned that you were going to come in and, and tie me and, and, and gag me. <laughs> no, George has been subsisting on he's pizza, been so nice. pizza would, and beer. I what I love cider. is that, Josh, thank you, because I, I do like a good cider, but at the end of the day, I do like a good beer. So what is this last beer we're drinking? This is pretty I nice. I can't remember. It's kind of fancy, too. I like fancy <laughs> beers. It's in a champagne bottle. Uh, Al Gash has been making some of the best uh, sour beers and just spontaneously fermented everything over the last uh, couple years. And uh, this is a new one called Nancy that's done up with uh, cherries. I've not gotten it yet because you were bogarting that bottle, Jimmy. I thought it said fancy, but it says Nancy. (laughs) So close. close, Fancy Nancy. That's intense. uh, Fancy beer, fancy ciders. That is intense. Michael, yeah. what got you into the cider industry? Because this is there's a lot of beer sales guys that are going into cider. Alcoholism is yeah, pure alcoholism. And what about you, Chris? How did you, you you were writing about a lot of things and free cider. That's what it was. <laughs> Pretty much all of the free cider. He yeah. didn't pay a dollar for these bottles. Yeah, these are these are way too expensive. I don't make this kind of money, so I tried, a, I figured I'd write about it instead and and see what happens. He's also a dad, so you can't really afford. You need it, but you can't afford it. So it's a weird sort of. Yeah, you know, I was the only person uh, when my editor at Serious Eats became the editor i was the only person she knew that knew about cider that was three years ago so she said do you want to write about it i said sure how many articles do you want she said one every two weeks uh i was like well there's dry there's sweet i don't really know what else to tell you about it um and i said let's do it i kind of just contacted every american cider maker i could ever meet introduced interviewed everybody um and that was three odd years ago We've been we've been running consistent cider articles year round since then. Uh, one of the few people that approach it on a national scale, and it you know it's been some of the best people I've ever met. Cider people, I'm sure Mike can attest, are the best people. They're all great people. They're all they're all farmers. They all just want to give you a good time. They want to get drunk. They want to hang out. Yeah, they're so nice. Yeah, it's spectacular. Josh, what what do you think about fine cider? So. <laughs> <laughs> Fun question, Jimmy. Look, I mean, I enjoy great cider. I mean, these are fantastic things I would be happy to have with dinner, before dinner, for dessert, anytime. I mean, I mean, I just am really impressed that you have all these fantastic, fantastic, fantastic ciders out there right now. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, you had Woodchuck, you had nothing else, really. And so just variety, scope, possibility out there. Same thing with beer. It's just great to see people really reaching in and being so creative. Yeah, no, and cheers to everybody. And uh, last note, a, a favorite cider you've had recently, not your own, Michael. I, one of my favorites recently was uh, from a, I'm going to space to remember the actual name because I was drinking a lot at the point, but I was just in Spain in the in the Basque region and there was a cider from, please, if you know Spanish, you're going to hate me, but Hernani, which is just outside of Asteriaga near the uh, San Sebastian and it was called Tartufio. It blew my mind, Chris. Uh, so we just Good wrapped one, up a we just wrapped up an article on ciders of the Pacific Northwest for Serious Each that comes out in a week or so. Um, and there's this uh, cidery called Westcott Bay that is sort of one of the old school guys up there, and they keep a really low profile. They're just kind of distributed in their own little area. They are making hands down some of the best classic American cider in the country right now. It's, stuff is absolutely fantastic. Josh, anything that comes to mind? 
I drink a lot of beer. You know, <laughs> I've not I like this wild yeast beer you brought. I've not, had, I've not had a lot of ciders the last couple of days, and so I had a cold, so I'm not drinking as much. But being on Beer Sessions Radio makes you drink again and again and again. And George, a, f- a favorite cider with uh, one of your burgers? Well, I like Bell's. Bell's Brewery. I don't drink a lot of cider, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Forget you, man. Sorry. Where's my burger? I <laughs> thought I had George Motes on because he was supposed to bring me a skillet cooked burger. Jimmy, it's you called Beer Sessions Radio. You oh, want yeah. me talk about cider? <laughs> Can I make one more plug? Sure. We have a really spectacular event as well on Thursday at uh, one of my favorite places, Bergen, which is right next door to where this awesome cheese is made. Yep. Bergen Hall. We're going to have a, another sick fir- firkin and a bunch of uh, great cider. So well, that's great. And you have an awesome tattoo. I have yes, an apple do. tattoo. You're really an apple guy. And I work for a cidery. All right. There's so much to cover. This is We did another cider show last week. We had some, some – it was a little more serious. We had – Farnham Hill calling in, Rowan Jacobson, the author. And this is a good one because really, I feel like we cover the industry a little bit. And Josh, thanks for your insight and questions because you really carry the show. You're always a, <laughs> no, you're always a great guest. And Michael, cheers to virtue. Great, I know you guys great to be are on. just getting really started. And Chris, it. thanks for suggesting it. And we're going to go to Jimmy's number 43. What else are we going to try over there? Do you have any more samples? Uh, you got to wait till you get to Jimmy's to try the rest of the samples. All right. right. But we're going to try some Perry's, some West Coast ciders, some South ciders, some great stuff that you guys have. Redbird, it's exclusive at Jimmy's this week. So we're going to have some of that for sure. And again, th- thanks to you for all those introductions because you are out there. And, and, and if I were doing anything this weekend besides the New York City Food Film Fest, I would go up to Massachusetts to Cider Days because mm-hmm. it sounds like this is the place to learn about cider. Yeah, I was going to say one more thing with the uh, you know the beer and cider watch cheese event. Like part of it is a test to see what beers, what ciders work great for the cheeses. And so if these work out, the ones work out, we're going to see more of them hopefully getting on the market within the New York City area. And hopefully this won't be the last uh, event we do in the Lagering Caves. No, please. And then it's just such great to, to taste the beer or the cider that the cheese was washed in. This is yep. like serious stuff. Did you say cider caves? Is that what you said? It's I cider said caves. For next fall? Cider caves. Cider caves. Cider caves. Cider caves. Cider caves. Cider cider caves. There's another event at Stinky Cheese. Cider caves. the same cider. Washed cheese. Done. This weekend. I do, Saturday. I do, I do like that the cider and beer are kind of overlapping, and, and I've found that cider is a nice option for people, especially as gluten-free. It's agricultural products. It's not even gluten-free. It's just you it's want delicious. it. It's delicious. It's delicious, and like after having beer all day long, it's a nice like palate scraper. It's something that's just so different, but yet sort of similar. That's how I feel about beer. Yeah. After having cider all day, it's nice to have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, I'd like to thank everyone, our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. I've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Chris, Michael, Josh, George, and Rowan Jacobson, somewhere out there. Joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kenny, our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.